Good morning, church family. It seems um, that we've already heard the message about being the salt of the earth, doesn't it, to you? But I have this in common with my brother Neil. I also will use my allotted time. Which, which, which also seems very short. This morning, we come to probably one of the most well-known um, phrases in the Sermon on the Mount, probably one of the best-known phrases in your New Testament, you are the salt of the earth. And, and, and here's our challenge. Um, people outside the church even know all about this business of there being salt of the earth type people. And the popular notion is that to be a salt of the earth person is to be one of the simple, unassuming, hardworking men or women of the culture, that, you know, the unsung heroes in any society. You, you hear this frequently even today. They're, they're just real salt of the earth kind of people. And even the Rolling Stones liked that idea. Let's drink to the hardworking people. Let's drink to the lowly of birth. Raise your glass to the good and the evil. Let's drink to the salt of the earth. How many of you know 54 years later, that's still really wrong? <laughs> and so um, the popular notion of what it is to be a salt of the earth person is not what concerns us this morning. In fact, we cannot interpret scripture at all by popular notion. Nor can we come to the Bible and, and simply say out of familiarity, um, I got this. I, I know what this is. I'll decide what it means to be a salt to the earth person. Our great need, as always, is to know what God means when he says to some people, not all people, to his people, you are the salt of the earth. You and only you, Christians, are as salt on the earth. Why the earth? For the same reason we're to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the same reason that psalm that was read to us earlier, part of it begins with the words, the earth is the Lord's in all of its fullness. And this earth that is our Lord's with all of its fullness is to be preserved for the glory of God. And it's to be seasoned with his wisdom. We are to be influencers for the kingdom of heaven. And so this morning, we're, we're going to, with God's help, set aside popular notions about what it is to be the salt of the earth, and we're just going to let Scripture interpret Scripture as, as we turn to the, the similitudes, as they're sometimes called, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You there? You've had plenty of time. Okay. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? 
It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And so the challenge is not for us to think, okay, what, what do I picture salt of the earth as being? The, the challenge is what did Jesus, Yahweh's anointed king, mean when he said to this gathered multitude near the Sea of Galilee, you are the salt of the earth? Well, remember, he's, he's teaching a crowd of people, a mass of people, if you will, but among the many are his disciples, uh, the, the comparative few uh, who have heeded his call, repent, the kingdom of heaven is here, you follow me. And so I ask you this morning, have you heeded the king's call? Are you a repentant Jesus-following person. These are the only people who are the salt of the earth. In fact, whenever the gospel of the kingdom is proclaimed to a group of any size, there are likely to be listeners and followers. I've mentioned that before. Nod your head if that seems sort of familiar to you. Okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, Let's pray that God would pour out grace among us this morning, that we would be followers, not merely listeners. And so, so when Jesus says in verse 13, you, you are the salt of the earth, he's speaking to his disciples, to his followers, those who are born of the spirit of God. And listen, stare at your Bible now or your tablet so you can see the context here. Uh, those whose new nature has already been described in the Beatitudes. Don't miss that. Most important thing in real estate, right, Neil? Location, location, location. <laughs> Turns out that's true about your Bible too. Location. Where, where is this in the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it's right after this wonderful description of the nature of those who are born of the Spirit of God. The Jesus people. The blessed people. The king's blessed people. Now, why do I belabor this? Because you don't have to be a Christian to be a simple, hardworking, unassuming, down-to-earth person. The popular notion of what it is to be a salt-of-the-earth guy or gal. Only Christ's followers function as salt in light in a, dec in a decaying, sin-darkened world. So, we're going to just allow Scripture to interpret Scripture and, and see just a, a pinch of what your Bible has to say about salt. As, as it turns out, your Bible is full of salt. It's all, it's all over the Bible. In this one little phrase, we find three things that we're going to see this morning, Lord willing, a promise to cling to, a purpose to step into, and then a prophetic warning that we best pay careful attention to. Just those three things. A promise, a purpose, 
a prophetic warning. Let's just look at the promise. First of all, you are the salt of the earth. <laughs> this, this isn't a maybe, Christian. That This isn't hopefully one day this will happen to you. Every true disciple here today is as salt wherever God has placed you on his earth. So if you're you're a Christian this morning, are you a Christian this morning? This is to do with you. This isn't to do with the church in a general, generic sense. More on that later. This is to do with you as the individual. Where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you do your banking, all of that stuff on the earth. God will use you personally in your neighborhood, in your, in your class, in your, in your family relationships, wherever you go on earth, by God's good providence, says Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. Now, you've heard this before, right? Jesus' first listeners um, knew all about salt in the same way that you and I know about salt. But there's also a sense in which they knew some stuff that we don't and need to get familiar with. Uh, They knew, for example, what the Hebrew scriptures said to them about salt. I'll give you a few examples. Most of them certainly knew that God had instructed his people to use salt in their offerings to mark the enduring nature of their covenant relationship with God. Just just one example, Leviticus 2.13, with all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Salt couldn't be destroyed by fire, not even the fire of sacrifice. How interesting. Nor could it be destroyed by time. Pure salt didn't spoil, and, and it still doesn't today. Salt was a symbol of permanence. It was a reminder that the worshiper was in an everlasting covenant relationship with Yahweh. And salt reminded God's people of the imperishableness of his love for his own. And so over time, you're still listening, over time salt symbolized the covenant itself that God had with his people. Second Chronicles 13.5 says this, Should you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the dominion over Israel to David forever, to him and his sons, by a covenant of salt? What is that to do with? Well, those listening to Jesus not only thought of preserving and flavoring like we think of salt, but also covenant relationships. And, and the certainty and permanence of who they were as God's people. We are his chosen people. He is our God. The earth that is the Lord's and all of its fullness, it's ours too because we belong to him. We're his kingdom people. And God is reclaiming his earth, isn't he, through the work of King Jesus. And, and you and I, We've got skin in the game. That's what this little statement is saying to us. This is how God is using you right now as one who follows Jesus. So here is a gathering of misfits from Galilee. Really common people 
Any, any common people here today? <laughs> Pretty much all of us, right? There, there are no rulers. There are no military leaders, captains, no royalty, just average Joes and Jills or, or Abrahams and Annas if you prefer. And, and they're, they're valued very little by the movers and shakers of their time if they were noticed at all. And as it turns out, friends, that's how we are too as God's people. And yet those who belong to the king are being reassured here that the king's people are precious and valuable and necessary. In fact, vital to the work that their king is doing on earth. Do you understand your allegiance to the king in that way? That you are precious, valuable, necessary? That the way you conduct yourself in your neighborhood, wherever it is you hang out and bump into other people, is a vital part of the work that God is doing on planet earth? Because it is. You say, well, it's all so ordinary. That's the point. It's as ordinary as salt, isn't it? To be a salt of the earth person then is to be one who is highly valued by God. Not the world. Don't expect that. Jesus, remember, has just told his his disciples, the world will hate you because of me. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, Salt was valued in the Roman world, wasn't it? We, some of you know all about salt. You've studied this before. And um, I'm probably not going to say anything about salt today that will, will surprise you. Uh, soldiers were paid in salt. In fact, the, the Latin word uh, salarium gives us the English word salary. Uh, so if a person was, is not worth their salt, they're, they're not worth their salary, right? Um, but, but Jesus, listen is absolutely not saying that his followers are going to be valued by the world the way the world back then valued salt. Don't think that. In fact, it's just the opposite. He's already told them that. The world will misunderstand you, misrepresent you, and mistreat you simply because of your allegiance to me. And oh, by the way, you're the salt of the earth. What God intends to do on the earth, he intends to do through the influence of his kingdom people. Remember, Matthew has has been telling us that the gospel is nothing less than a new genesis getting underway. It's getting in the way, it's getting underway rather in the gospel. The king has come, the kingdom is here. And the kingdom begins to express itself through the ministry of Jesus and his followers. And this kingdom that is breaking into humanity has profound implications for the earth itself. It's God's. The earth itself and its people are meant to be a great offering bringing glory to God. And so so kingdom people are those who function as those who want to see the glory of God on earth restored, wherever they've been placed. 
Just think about what that might look like in your interactions with other people. In, in the ordinary flow of life, God's promise to reclaim his world for his glory involves every single one of his followers. This is not varsity Christianity as opposed to the JV squad. Uh, this is not the, the, the higher level of what it is to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You're precious to the king. You're valuable to the king. You're necessary to the king. Now, that is all to do with the promise. What about the purpose? This is, this is the part that we're probably most familiar with. The word salt describes the purpose, right? In the ancient world, no refrigerators, no freezers. Um, you, you can imagine in a, in, a, in a Mediterranean climate or in a desert climate, certainly food spoiled very quickly, and that's where the salt came in. The salt was uh, the preservative to keep food from decaying, from, from spoiling. And we don't need a lot of examples, do we, about how the world around us is decaying and spoiling? You, you see godlessness in your workplace. You see it in politics and government. You see it in, in education, in courts of law, in the arts. Um, everywhere there are people, there is sin, in other words. In fact, the world apart from God is rotten with sin, isn't it? And what is God doing with his kingdom people? Well, he's purposed to use his people, you, as a preserving influence in the world. Just your very presence as you live out what? The nature that has been described to you in these beatitudes. Just living that out before humanity you have a preserving influence in your little corner of the world here in Hayden, Idaho. And so you and I, we're meant to look at every aspect of our lives and ask, you know, what does that look like when it's under the reign of King Jesus? Because that's the influence I'm meant to live toward. That's the, that's the influence I'm meant to speak up for and, and represent. You are the salt of the earth. Do you, do you care if this is practical for a minute? Let's just say you had um, a really close friend who is struggling in his marriage uh, and because he, he woke up one day and figured out he, he married another sinner and, um, and, and he's thinking about bailing on that marriage because life is really difficult sometimes. And how many of you know the only people without married, marriage problems are unmarried people, right? <laughs> so we don't have to pretend otherwise. It's two sinners being brought together by the grace of God for the purpose of bringing him glory and being made more like Jesus. And mostly that's just bliss, isn't it? But sometimes, no, I mean, it is. It's a joy. It's a gift from God. Why are you laughing so heartily? <laughs> yeah. We have a prayer need in the second row. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's not without its difficulties, is it? The Lord's chipping off all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. And it turns out there's a whole bunch. And so you could lovingly say to your friend, 
What do you suppose it would look like if your marriage was under the rule of King Jesus? What do you suppose it would look like if you conducted yourself as one who was in subjection to the King of Kings? Because you want that stuff you sing about on Sunday mornings to actually be true, right? Now, that's not even part of the sermon. (laughs) That's extra. Jesus, who has pronounced blessing on his kingdom people, his covenant people, he's saying, you know, those of you who are just enviably happy by the world's... Uh, uh, you know, the, the world is baffled by the contentment that you have in Christ your King. You are being rubbed into this earth as salt on a piece of meat, and you're there to preserve it for the glory of God, to prevent further decay, to, to sustain all that brings glory to God. Your life, your attitudes, your speech, uh, in any group you're in, from, from the living room to the classroom to the boardroom, you get the idea. You are there to live in such a way that it becomes harder and harder for that place to rot. Are you hearing this? Because this, this is different from the Christian who has decided that it's her job just to stand up and say, you're all rotten. Just as salt prevents or kills bacteria in food, kingdom people prevent or confront, they stave off corruption, rottenness, sin, and its influence in the world. You, says Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. We understand, don't we, that salt is also um, a purifying Agent. I'll, I'll give you a quick example again from the Old Testament when God told Moses uh, how to make the incense that was to be used in the tabernacle. He said, Moses, you, you, you mix frankincense with other sweet spices, equal amounts. And then he said this, you shall make of these an incense, a compound according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. So that the salt signified purity in the incense, the the aroma that was to go to the Lord. By the way, that's what Paul the Apostle means when he says to the Colossians, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Isn't it interesting that even in our culture, we have an idea of salty speech that's completely the opposite of what the Bible's actually... It's not just the Rolling Stones who got this stuff wrong. Our words should add purity, holiness, godly wisdom to conversation. So a a Christian lives in the world and and just just by uh, her very natural um, um, life in Christ, the the, the born of the spirit life that that is... illustrated or or painted for us in the Beatitudes, she flavors the putrid, sin-stained relationships that are so common in the world today. Let me just give you one more example from Scripture. You're still listening. When the prophet Elisha 
took the mantle of ministry from Elijah, uh, he, he was used of the Lord to purify the waters around Jericho, uh, removing a curse that dated all the way back to the days of Joshua. And you, you read about this in 2 Kings. Um, 2 Kings 2 says this, The men of the city said to Elisha, uh, Please notice the situation of this city is pleasant, uh, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And then he went out to the source of the water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it. There shall be no more death or barrenness. Now, what a, what a strange and wonderful picture of the gospel. When the purity of God himself is brought into the life of one who has repented and surrendered his allegiance to the king. How many of you know sin's curse is lifted? Spiritual death is conquered. A spiritual barrenness or fruitlessness is removed. Has this happened to you? I mean, I understand you're at a church and it's Sunday and you could be watching the Seahawks. Don't think I don't know this is happening. I read the papers. Has, has this miracle happened to you? The spirit of the living God has invaded your soul so that you see yourself in peril under judgment from the wrath of God and you realize that you have one rescue and his name is Jesus Christ and you've run to him. And he's claimed you as his own. He said, you're valuable to me. You're precious to me. You are now necessary on planet Earth. It's mine. I'm taking it back. You've got skin in the game. Let's go. Is that you? Because that's who Jesus is talking to. Now, 2 Kings 2 is also a bit strange because adding salt to water... You wouldn't normally think of that as being a good thing. I mean, wouldn't the water become brackish and, and just not nasty, you know? You can't drink salt water. Now, what, what a stark reminder to us that God's way of preserving his glory on earth, even purifying and, and, and reclaiming his sin-stained world, making it useful for his glory, is totally different from man's way of improving his scenery. <laughs> Totally different program. The king preserves his glory and purifies life on earth through his gospel proclaiming, gospel living people. You say, well, what's, what's plan B? There isn't one. Well, what if that doesn't work? It's working. The king's people are so satisfied in him. That's what the Beatitudes are saying. So uh, delighted in him, happy in him, single-minded as his subjects, they gladly embrace their role now as influencers for the king on the earth. So what are the king's influencers like? Well, they're totally different from the so-called influencers that you see on social media today. What a horrible corruption of the concept. The king's influencers are humble. They're meek. They hunger for righteousness. 
They're merciful. They're forgiving. They long for others to be at peace with God, let alone one another. And how different that is, friends, from human methods. Even when fallen humanity tries to cure the evil in the world, it, it, it not only fails. Have you noticed, as I have, it makes things much, much worse. The harder man tries apart from God, the worse things get. The United Nations, for example, um, don't anybody laugh, this isn't a joke. What was an effort to cure evil among the nations? And we've, we've come up with, with more efficient ways of killing each other. We've got more ways of killing each other and doing each other wrong now than we ever have. Education reforms. That's a good thing, by the way. But apart from God, all of these efforts to improve people's lives, some of you are old enough, no offense, some of you are old enough to remember back in the day, uh, even before the Rolling Stones, the idea was what? Well, if it, the, the problem with the world today is people just aren't educated enough. You get everybody educated and we'll clean our own house. <laughs> I liked your example of that. <laughs> Apart from God, where's that going to go? Nowhere. Nowhere good. We are so smart. Today, we don't know the difference between a boy and a girl. <laughs> and, and we think the earth created itself. It would be funny if it weren't true. And somehow, if we keep God out of education, we'll end up smarter still. And believing ourselves wise, we've become fools. I read that somewhere. <laughs> Political reforms. So many churches today are caught up in this. And yet this is ultimately worldly thinking because if we're thinking of using worldly means to fix what is essentially a spiritual problem, an alienation from God problem, we're just moving the furniture around. The, the kingdom of heaven is not a return to Mayberry and Norman Rockwell. That's not what Jesus means by you are the salt of the earth. Politics as a means of repairing society has not brought us peace. It's brought us, if anything, more animosity. Not morality, but socially sanctioned immorality. Man's ways of reforming himself apart from God always fail. So, Elisha, you go ahead and dump salt in that water. Let's see what happens when you do it my way. Again, can we make this practical for just a minute? Church, let's not be content to have everyone vote Republican while they're still on their way to hell. Can we agree to that? I mean, that is just about the most pointless thing I could possibly think of. Let's not be content to have every child saluting the American flag at school while they and their families still do not live in allegiance to King Jesus. Let's not grow lazy in seasons of relative peace in our land while the nations rage and plot vain things because their people are starved for the gospel of the Prince of Peace. You are the salt of the earth. 
How does the kingdom of heaven grow then? If not by those means I mentioned, how does the kingdom of heaven grow? One heart at a time surrendered to the king. How does this earth that is the Lord's in all of its fullness increasingly fulfill its purpose at creation and that is to bring glory to God? Each surrendered heart, that's you and me, each surrendered heart living for the king as salt, that that preserving, purifying work of the gospel and gospel living is the hope of this world. And let me just encourage you, because I've been challenged by this personally in some ways that have made me very uncomfortable, and as it turns out, that's the best way. Um, This isn't simply the mission of the church as an organization. Don't think that. Well, I'm a church member, and my church does X, Y, Z, so I'm good to go. No, this is to do with you as a grain of salt. This is to do with you as an individual. Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. He says, the Christian is to function as the salt of the earth by his individual life and character, by just being the man that he is in every sphere in which he finds himself. Let me just make some quick application before we close. And you know what that means, that we're not close to the end, but we're, we're, we're approaching, we've turned a corner, all right? When you preserve food with salt, you rub salt into the food. See how complicated this is? Um, Contact is not just helpful. Contact is imperative. It's absolutely necessary. This is big crayon stuff, right? Um, Salt cannot perform its function by staying on the shelf far away from the substance that it's meant to preserve. And this might be the part where some of us have to start paying attention because we're we're going in a direction here now, aren't we? We want to be very, very careful as a church before we decide that our best course of action is to remain isolated in Christian community. You know, to to move to that city, that neighborhood, there's more Christians there. Um, Never having any contact with the world that is in decay, stumbling around in darkness. Oh, wait a minute, I read somewhere... I'm the salt of the earth. I'm going to have to have contact with this rotten earth for the glory of my king. I'm going to have to have contact with this decaying world that I'm living in if I'm going to have a purifying influence through the grace of God for the glory of my king. God intends to use you in the world, friend, or you wouldn't still be here. Are you embracing this purpose? Or are you the equivalent of salt on the shelf? Salt in comfortable, safe storage with the rest of the salt. You're the salt of the earth. And young people, and you decide what that means. Young people, please do not believe the notion that God's best use for you as one of his people is only in church work or or missionary vocation, that sort of thing. If, If you're called to that, be sure you do that, okay? 
But God intends to have his people in art and architecture and banking and baking and teaching and technology. All of that stuff on the earth is where God's people are meant to be for the glory of the king. Not isolated, not in storage, on the earth. Well, how are we going to end this thing? promise you're precious to the king you're valuable to the king the life you think is so ordinary and plain is vital to the work that the king is doing on planet earth says who says Jesus what's the purpose you're meant to be you are rather a preservative a purifying agent in your part of the world. Let, let's just look at the warning then, the prophetic warning. You are the salt of the earth. We've, got, we've looked at seven words so far. We're making tremendous time. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. So just picture the crowd again in Galilee. And these Jewish people to whom Jesus is speaking are being led by religious leaders who were simply posing as the people of God. Just imagine living in a culture like that where there's a whole bunch of people pretending to be God's people. The nation Israel had long, long ago lost its saltiness as God's witness people in the world. The Judaism of Jesus' day was mostly an apostate religion. And the people anticipated a Messiah, but not for the glory of God so much as for their own glory, their own uh, selfish benefit. And, and yet they still went through all the motions of their religion. In fact, they even added to God's law so that they would feel and look more righteous. An unbelieving Israel is about to be judged, about to be trampled underfoot of men. And so the warning here is not, hey, if you don't work really hard to be salt, you're in big trouble. No, the warning, according to King Jesus, is, is, is you who simply pretend to be the people of God. All of you religious posers, you'll soon be judged. I think we remember what happened with Lot's wife, speaking of salt. She looked back as God judged Sodom, not out of curiosity, but, but out of um, longing. You know, even as God is judging uh, that wicked part of the world, she's, she's wanting things the way they were, you know. And, and by disobeying a God-giving warning, she forfeited her God-offered salvation. That's my burden this morning as I stand in front of you all. Please don't miss this God-given warning to repent and turn to the king. Judgment is coming and there is rescue for you in the work of Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, ancient Israel followed that sad example of, of Lot's wife. Israel set apart for the glory of God, um, simply became 
like the nations around her. And, and what did Jesus say to, to Israel? Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Hmm. What nation? The king's holy nation. Christ's followers. The Israel of God. Jews and Gentiles surrender to the king. So let me just speak to the listeners among us today. Will you not heed God's warning? Will you not turn in repentance and respond to this warm invitation from the king? Don't look back. The the world even now is under judgment. Now, there is a caution here for followers, too, and we'll end with that. And I really mean it. We'll end with it. Somewhere in my closet at home, underneath all of the stuff that you guys don't need to know about, um, clothes that I think I might one day fit into again, um, I have a pair of sandals um, that I wore in the Dead Sea about three years ago when Pam and I were blessed to go there. And I'm too cheap to throw them away, so they're just sitting in the closet. But um, they've got this really sticky, nasty funk to them. And and even when you touch them, some of you have been to the Dead Sea, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's just, you don't want to touch that. It's really gross, right? And the Dead Sea, uh, its salt, is, is infamously impure. And Jesus' hearers knew that. They knew all about impure salt contaminated salt. It's worthless. You just throw it away. You wouldn't even keep it in your closet, really. A contaminated, impure Christian will become useless to God's purposes in the world. That's that's the warning to the followers. How does that happen? Well, it happens when you're in contact with the world not to influence it for Christ, but to partake only of its pleasures and its priorities. In fact, the phrase loses its flavor. In fact, circle that in your friend's Bible because they're going to forget this. The phrase loses its flavor translates a Greek word that means foolish. Foolish. A foolish disciple is one who forgets who he is. A foolish disciple is one who forgets who she is. Who is she? She's the salt of the earth. She's precious to the king, necessary to the king, vital to the work he's doing in the world. She's to be a preserving influence, keeping the world around her from getting any more rotten than it already is, a purifying influence, bringing the wisdom of God into a world that is so dark with its foolishness You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says, insofar as these beatitudes are exhibited in your life. Christians who isolate from the world, Christians who blend in with the world, become useless to the kingdom and useless to the world. In fact, salt can be that way, can't it? Salt can be just kind of an irritant. 
How many of you know God has not called us to be irritants in that way? Go out as salt, not as an irritant, not as salt in the, in, in the wound of the world. Go live your life and make it hard for sin to grow where you're at. Go live your life to the glory of God wherever you, you work and learn and play and bring God's wisdom to the foolishness around you. Otherwise, you'll simply be an irritant. And you may well be trampled underfoot of men. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this declaration that we are your salt on the earth. We thank you that we have every reason to live with absolute confidence that this earth is yours, that you rule over all things now. And Lord, our future is that glad promise that we will rule and reign with you on the earth forever. In the meantime, Lord, may we ever more function as your salt and your light. And we pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.